Welcome to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast where you will discover creative ways to improve your health and well-being. Someone may have told you that art isn't for you, but they were wrong. Anyone can create arts for the health of it. No talent or experience necessary. I'm just a little songbird. Try to fly my way homeward with the melody and I make the beat. Don't know where it'll take me, take me. Cause when I'm in the dark of night, I sing my way back to the light. Come along with me and your heart will see that a song changes everything. Oh. Well, we've we've all probably heard by now that our post-COVID world, we're all experiencing a level of collective trauma. And we know from research, the arts can be a powerful tool to building resiliency while people are going through trauma and then trying to recover from trauma. And I'm so excited about our, our guest today, Curtis Ramju from First Aid Arts. I've been a fan of their work for a long time. Um, and he shares, they work with um, populations uh, from children trying to get out of, coming out of sex trafficking to refugees. And then they even have a toolkit now for those of us, which is everyone um, being affected by COVID-19 to use the arts to um, shift our perspective and either activate or calm down just depending on what we need in the moment. And oh, it just was so cool, Richard. I loved, I'm always fascinated. Like I didn't even know, I'd never heard arts and health before the day I met you. And which was not that long ago, it was like three years ago. So I'm always super fascinated by people who have been doing the work for so long and who are so like in tune to it, you know? And I think one of the things he talked about was, and I think about a lot, uh, is listening to music. You can do that so passively, like, and not even realize really what you're getting out of just turning on your favorite music or a music to put, you know, like a mood playlist. Like you don't even realize what that's actually doing to you. You just kind of... No, like, oh, I'm I love this song, so I'm going to listen to it. But how you connect with something and and what it actually can change, and I, and that happens to me all the time. I have different CDs, records, because I'm old. Um, <laughs> of, you know, like I'll listen to this when I'm in this kind of mood, and I listen to that if I'm in that kind of mood, or I want to be in a certain kind of mood, and I never realized that's even what I was doing for myself until three years ago. Yeah, I think we, I mean, humans naturally use the arts to create um, psychological and social equilibrium. And I love the intentionality that First Aid Arts brings to arts engagement, combining mindfulness around trauma responses that we have, and then how to use these tools that we have in the arts um, in a very strategic and targeted way to build resiliency and shift mood and um, help us feel happier and calmer and um, all of that. So yeah, yeah, this is a great interview. And he shares one of the um, activities, one of the trauma-informed activities at the end of this episode. So make sure you you listen all the way through to the end. You actually don't need any materials for this one. If you want to use a pen or um, a marker or something, you can. But we just did it by tracing on our 
hand. So yeah. So even if you're just out and about, you can, you can do this little mood shifting art activity with us. And I think it's a great um, example of how you don't need a lot of time and a lot of supplies to, to do something and to be able to change that way. You don't need a ton of art supplies and you don't need to sit down for an hour and meditate. Like it took mm-hmm. us two minutes and fingers. So yep. <laughs> not a lot of supplies needed for this one, everyone. But uh, I want to introduce you to uh, Curtis. He's the co-founder and president of First Aid Arts, which is a nonprofit uh, based in Seattle, Washington, that is in its 12th year, 12 years ago. First Aid Arts mission is to equip trauma care providers with art based tools and training for a world where wounded hearts heal beautifully. Mm-hmm. He is a professional musician, a surfer, a sailor, a husband, a father, and his motto is do what you love to fight what you hate. And when I read that, I was like, oh, it's like, it's like the up, uh, like, it's like that up updated version of uh, what is it like, do what you love. You'll never have to work a day in your life. Or whatever. Uh, and I was like, Oh, like that's everybody's goal. Really? You know, yeah. hopefully is to do what they love. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, okay. that's, that's the interview. Well, that's not the interview. Here's the interview. Take a listen, take a watch. <laughs> yep. Always more to learn. Always room for improvement. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you're the co-founder and president of first aid arts. And the first thing that thought that always comes in my head with people who have been doing it a long time is, you know, arts and health is not a, an everyday uh, phrase in people's lives. So I'm always curious, like what um, prompted you to get into the work? Like what happened where you found what arts and health was and why it was important and what it was like trying to start something like that? I'm sure it was more than 12 years ago that you started to actually do the work. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. Um, I, I mean, it's fun. It is fun to think back before you were trying to sell anything or curate your public profile, like when you're just a kid and, you know, what your parents tell you about yourself before you were self-conscious. And I grew up in really beautiful parts of the world, in Hawaii and in the Pacific Northwest and the San Juan Islands. And uh, my mom says I was always the kid that was pointing out rainbows and just celebrating beauty from a young age um, and then got really into music. Like my brother, who's four and a half years older, he um, got me breakdancing to Michael Jackson on refrigerator oh. boxes with the bandana <laughs> tied around the leg. And, oh, no. Um, <laughs> I wish I knew that because I would have asked for video of it. So. <laughs> I don't think that exists only in our in our hearts and minds. But um, but so, yeah, just um, some music always just got deep into me and really brought me to life. And um, and then just over time, you know, um, I did experience how how and I think we all have this before you have like the scientific examined understanding of, of the brain and the body and, and mental health and that whole conversation, we all have experiential reference points of, of times where, for instance, if you're just feeling low and like you want to, and you're trying to work out, like you put on music to pump you up. I mean, that's, that's a way to use, you know, music to um, not just for pleasure, but as a tool to, um, to help energize you, to help you engage your body. Um, I've, you know, have been a professional musician for 
a lot of my life and played at lots and lots of weddings because that's how you can eat if you're an artist <laughs> is if you can get in on certain industries. And I loved, you know, the honor of participating in people's, you know, big day and that sacred moment. But I saw how music in that moment, you know, uh, just everything that's going on, as soon as we'd play the song where the bride would march down the aisle, just like um, how that could shift the, you know, the entire atmosphere and how um, afterwards I had so many fathers of the bride tell me, you know, I was doing fine until you started playing that song and then I started weeping, you know, and you know, you jerk, why'd you do that to me? <laughs> um, but um, so, yeah, so, I mean, I think we all can, can uh, think back to it being just a very universal human experience of how the arts connect with um, how we're how we're feeling, our experience of life, um, and for me, just processing. I, I it became a way for me to do the most thorough journaling, kind of sifting for gold of what's true, what's good, what's beautiful, what's worthy of taking with me, of thinking about, um, and um, and going through through. Uh, I like to say too that you know if you've been through middle school, like we've all experienced some some trauma and some stress <laughs> during that time period. And for me, connecting with with um, Nirvana and other bands that just expressed just the displeasure and angst and just <laughs> friction of life in ways that you, I didn't have vocabulary for, but like I just was like, yeah, like what they're expressing, I I I feel that like, and uh, so that's where it started, I would say, and then and then. Um, in terms of like, you know, uh, catching up on just first aid arts and a nonprofit using um, the arts for um, for healing and for resilience um, that a couple stepping stones for that were, you know, besides all my childhood experiences were then in college when I finally got to pick all my courses, you know, um, who am I? What, what should I be doing here? Um, something that became a motto of mine to help me navigate was um, the motto, do what you love to fight what you hate. Mm. And for me, you know, sustainability was becoming, um, I graduated in 2003 and just, um, you know, sustainability in terms of the environment. Um, I was thinking also in terms of sustainability, in terms of just uh, what you what you spend your time doing? How can you thrive as a person? What does a sustainable vocation or calling um, or job look like? Um, and I came up with that motto that um, for doing good in the world, um, that if you can uh, figure out a way to do um, what brings your heart to life um, and connect that to something that breaks your heart, um, that that uh, that that would be a very sustainable way to um, to engage in this life. And so. Um, for me, that became a, what I call a fertile question. Like, how can you do what you love to fight what you hate? And for me, the thing that I loved was music and the arts. That brought my my heart to life. Um, and uh, and then the thing that I found out about that broke my heart was learning about modern day slavery. And I, I heard the president of the largest anti-trafficking, anti-slavery organization in the world, Gary Haugen of International Justice Mission, um, I heard him speak and he shared about how he had personally been involved in rescuing kids as young as four years old from sex trafficking. And my life was different hearing that, that you can't unhear that. And, um, mm. and so I, I, that, that to me became, you know, um, the cause that I knew I would always be passionate about is how can I help kids get out of slavery and help them heal? Um, and, and so that fertile question for me became, how can I use music and art, the thing that I love, that, that you know, the resonant frequency of, of my heart, that my heart sings like a wine glass, you know, that sings when you, you know, 
Um, I really resonate with music and art. And then just like you can put a speaker next to a wine glass and it'll shatter, like my heart shattered when I heard about kids and slavery. So the fertile question was, how can I use the arts and, and music to help kids come out of slavery? And that was um, what launched my ship. And a bunch of good questions and good people later came up, you know, with with a project that that looked at using music and the arts to help um, survivors of modern day slavery in their healing process. Um, and then we found that that what we'd built could also be of service to refugees, to a variety of other um, people that have experienced trauma. Um, so that was that was the origins. Just a good question, wow. and uh, yeah, and, and just taking it step by step. Oh, that's. An incredible story. I love that question. How do you take what you love to fight what you hate? I just, ugh, I love that so much. It's so good. Um, as I resonate with that as not as a fellow nonprofit founder, <laughs> you know, it's how do you combine your your passions to um, help solve the world, some of the world's problems? Uh, I would love to hear more about the different populations that have been impacted by your work and maybe even a little bit about how you develop your programs for different populations. Is it the same for each one? Does, is it, are there different tweaks that you make to a central curriculum or model? I just would love to hear more about that. Yeah. Thank you, Stanzi. That's um, so we started off with, with supporting international justice mission and other groups that were helping survivors of slavery and then um, we, we did, you know, a lit review and had our advisory council come together um, with a bunch of professionals in mental health and art therapists, music therapists, dance therapists, drama therapists. And basically, I kind of ended up with like, you know, all right, here's our first aid kit. Here's this box. Like if, if you could put something in this and we could, you know, train and bring some materials to um, to human trafficking survivors, what do we need to know? You know, that was the, and the, the first aid arts, the, the, the name implies the model, um, which is that, uh, just like there's never enough going to be enough doctors or hospitals for all of the medical, um, needs of, of folks that are coming out of natural disasters or warfare or other types of, of physical trauma, well, the below the, the surface, you know, part of our humanity, the iceberg, um, the unseen wounds of the heart and the mind, um, we likewise will never have enough professional mental health counselors or people with letters behind their name. Um, the letters behind the name of the people that we serve are L-O-V-E, and, and they are serving <laughs> um, in their own culture and their own language. And, and so with that first aid model, we basically had the... Um, we're just trying to be really practical. So how can we be safe and effective? Um, what's the scope? What should we not be doing? Um, you know, we don't want to do any mm. harm. Um, and just thinking about medical first aid, you don't put, you know, a scalpel in there and have people do brain surgery. Like you have disinfectants and bandages and things that, that actually come alongside the, re the natural resiliencies of the body. And it's really cool to, to learn about how, you know, even our fight, flight, freeze re reflexes, those are, are there to protect us um, when we experience traumatic moments. But then, you know, you can help the body um, to heal more quickly. And you can also help the heart and the mind by learning to regulate. And so um, and being intentional in the way that you intervene post-trauma um, and learn to notice when you are um, in that fight, flight, freeze mode. So. So, you know, a really, really super quick version of, of kind of what we put together in terms of our secret sauce and our, our um, approach is that first aid model and, and the three core objectives that, that really all of our research um, 
and advisors uh, came to was that for survivors of trauma, if you can help them to, um, to be more self-aware so you can recognize when you're in that triggered state of fight, flight, freeze, that that's kind of knowing and knowing is half the battle. If you can learn to recognize, then you can respond intentionally instead of just reacting because, you know, our bodies react and we all have our own, um, for good or for bad, our, our habits of, of our style under stress, like that we learned from our parents or our childhood or just ways of coping and getting through hard things. And we're grateful for those um, responses. But um, but you can, uh, by recognizing when you're feeling stressed, then you can go to the second objective, which is to regulate. Um, so self-awareness then gives you the opportunity to self-regulate. Like, for example, breathing exercises that, you know, can instantly help you calm down and bring your full brain back online so that you can bring your best self to the challenges of, and opportunities of the moment. Um, so the three objectives are self-awareness, self-regulation, and then interpersonal skills that just connecting well, learning to communicate um, and have proper attachment um, and relational boundaries and habits that that is uh, the key, another key. Um, element of, of, of recovering from from um, from stress and trauma and then also um, having resiliency moving forward so um, so it was it was it was great I mean I, I was a musician that um, studied philosophy in Latin American studies Spanish and um, and then I was the one that was naive enough to kind of just enter this and just ask a bunch of questions and bring a bunch of experts together um, and build that kind of first aid model and then yeah we've been at it for this is our 12th year and um, at this point, I think we've trained um, about 800 staff and volunteers from over 250 organizations that are working in 56 countries. Um, mm. And we're based here in Seattle and we do some work here and we train domestically as well. I think I hear that a lot from people who start nonprofits. I think a word they use a lot is naive. <laughs> like, how hard can it be to save the world? It can't be oh, that difficult. Yeah. Let me do that. <laughs> I'm curious about your how you you feel like your music background served you as as a nonprofit founder and as a as a leader now? Yeah, I think I mean this is something the arts I think are are they're working the muscle of the imagination and and leadership is often you know primarily about seeing a vision and then helping people get excited about seeing that too and then moving towards it. It, it unifies you and it gives people the um, the reason to do anything if you can see you know keep your eyes on the prize kind of thing. So. Um, so the imagination and seeing that with trauma recovery as well, that um, for people that can't imagine a better life when everybody have, you know, when people have not provided good role models or when they've been um, given a, a, an inaccurate view of their own worth and their own potential, um, that just, just learning to believe and see um, something good in the future for yourself is is primary. And so mm -hmm. I, th I think that learning, you know, engaging in the arts as a, as, as a kid and, um, and being grateful for a lot of opportunities that I was provided to, um, yeah, to explore various art forms. And, and I like to point this out too. I just, I always love to give a shout out to Hawaii because um, just growing up in a couple different cultures there, I just, you know, every, every culture has, has, um, you know, it's, uh, things you celebrate and other things that you're not as stoked about, but, but um, 
in Hawaii, just the freedom to, you know, go surfing, paddle in, and then people are all eating food and playing music is just part of life um, versus being in the Northwest where sometimes it felt like there's more of a piano recital vibe to the arts or that it's more mm. per performative and kind of evaluated. And both of those are, are actually helpful because you want to be free and loose and and uh, just get to run and explore. I like to think of art oftentimes as kind of, um, you know, like picking a bouquet, just running around a field and like, you know, in music, putting together um, chords and, and rhythms that that provide a bouquet that that you dig that you're into. Um, that 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 is very good. But then also the excellence and the seriousness with which you want to be excellent in what you are doing. Those are both valuable. So I, I'm grateful for the two cultures I grew up in that um, kind of offered, you know, um, the warmer and the colder climate <laughs> um, approach to life a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, the um, I, I, that's, that's, I think, um, in terms of being an entrepreneur, in terms of, of starting this, this organization, I think the arts are helpful for that, whether it would be an arts organization or not. I think just, just the working the muscle of the imagination is something that is critical to leadership and critical to um, just staying, staying motivated. What have you learned over the last 12 years? I mean, I'm sure that list could be hours long, but uh, I'm curious, like from the beginning to now, like how, this has all kind of evolved. Um, I might tie that initially back to just that that concept of the the naivety, where it's like it's a that is a gift, and um, and I think to some degree, yeah, we're all trying to be childlike but not childish, where um, you don't want to lose that sense of like, yeah, why not? Why not just do this? Like, it's not that hard. It's not that complicated. Like, I I think that our language. I, I heard somebody was was talking about their son had graduated from Yale, like top law school in the United States, you know, for the past 20 or 30 years or whatever, and how he was just really um, saddened or disturbed with how like in one of the classes, they were literally teaching those students to complexify their language in order to basically posture and that it was a strategic move to like if you can sound smarter than other people and, and leave them in the dust behind you that that is advantageous in terms of of gaining power and and just being successful mm. and i i i hate that i actually mm. want the exact opposite to happen I, I think that that you know simplifying things down is really what um we're trying to do in our project which is taking complex because that's the thing you you, you know you, you can you can put under a microscope what's going on in, in terms of understanding the brain and understanding, you know, the nervous system and, and hormonal responses and things. But at the end of the day, you're trying to just have people live healthier, happier lives. And you want things to be understandable. And I love the quotes of, um, I think there's one by Einstein or attributed to him just around, you know, that you, if you truly understand something when, when you can explain it simply. Mm-hmm. And that I, I, so in terms of lessons learned over the last 12 years, I, I'm constantly trying to just simplify the way that we share things that are true and things that are helpful to people. Um, and I love that my non-professional background, I mean, I've got like a degree from Life University and I think what I've learned, I didn't take <laughs> professional, man, you know, management courses. I don't have an MBA. I don't have a master's, you know, in counseling, but I have real world experience and I've listened and read and been careful. So I've kind of, you know, some unofficial education in these things, but, but really to me, the most, um, 
important compliments I've gotten is from people that have that have their PhDs and have their you know credentials that say what we teach is actually clearer than what they learned in their in their you know formal education. Wow, that that to me is is success, and that's what I'm trying to keep learning is how do you um, yeah how do you simplify versus complexify, and how do you um, make things actually usable. Mm. <laughs> And to really help people. Yeah. (laughs) I'd love to hear about some of examples of types of activities or arts engagement that you're training people to lead others through and some of the impact that those things make. Absolutely. So um, our, again, kind of that first aid model is that we are training people our approach is we have a responder training. Um, the responder training is is learning the basics of our framework, which is kind of the holistic impact of trauma um, and stress. A lot of people, you know, some people don't identify as a trauma survivor, but we all, mm. you know, toxic stress. There, there's, you know, a continuum of the ex- how extreme something impacts you. But um, so we may not identify as trauma survivors, but every single one of us has been through toxic stress and things that, that are traumatic in some degree. And, um, and so our, you know, response to that in a first aid model is to first orient people to what's happening when you experience that learning to recognize it again, that self-awareness, if you can learn to recognize, um, when your heart rate is up, you know, maybe you're sweating, you're having trouble focusing, you have high energy, but it's unpleasant. That's on the high end of, of, of the spectrum. If you're kind of taking your temperature, that's like the red orange at the top from a one to 10 scale. We have something we use called the window of tolerance. And, um, and in the middle of that, the, um, is the green zone where your full brain's online. You don't feel threatened. Um, you can bring again, your best, your full faculties to the moment, um, but then also below that is when people are, you know, kind of running cold where just low energy that's unpleasant and, you know, difficult being motivated. You're kind of just that checked out or just like not engaging um, that, um, you know, so teaching people, uh, first of all, just to to be self-aware and to check in on that scale and take your temperature, because then if you realize if you can learn to recognize when you're in the zone, great. What are some things you can do to stay there? Um, or if you're, you know, running hot, what are some things that you can, can do to bring yourself into that window of tolerance down into the green, or if you're in the blue, what you can, can you do to, to boost yourself up? And, and that's where learning to kind of teach that framework and then having, um, specific activities. That's, that's where the arts, I mean, the two things is kind of, uh, learning how, stress and trauma impacts our system and then and then kind of well then why the arts what what is it that the the shape of the of the of the need and then the solution like how how do those puzzle pieces fit together and when you learn about how our bodies respond to stress and trauma and then when you learn to recognize if you're running hot or cold um that's when you can then um intervene in again in kind of a first aid way where just choosing activities where you can, um, uh, again, like something very basic, you know, um, and where I love just teaching people to start thinking of the arts is not just pleasurable or a luxury, but, but as a tool mm-hmm. is th- thinking about your phone and thinking about having a playlist of songs that songs that before you're in the moment, before you are under stress or trauma, like, you know, you can like pack yourself a, a little, you know, um, first aid kit for your, your mental and emotional health. 
um, by having a playlist of songs that you know resonate with you that can help you chill out. Like for me, there's some beautiful slack key Hawaiian guitar playing that just helps mm. me helps me breathe and bring it down. Um, or again, back to the kid dancing on the refrigerator boxes. Like I, I know, like the ro- the Rocky the Rocky Four soundtrack, like will get, yes. will, get will get me pumped up, you know. <laughs> um, but so, so things like that. And, and actually, um, one of the links I think I'd shared with you guys was that um, if on our website, uh, the, the firstaidarts.org, you can see, learn more about the kind of tools and programs we offer. Um, and then we have a free resource, which I would love for everybody to take advantage of. That's um, at firstaidarts.org. Um, and it's, it's uh, forward slash COVID-19. And on that page, we have a, a mini toolkit which shares um, some of this content that I've been talking about in terms of the wind of tolerance and checking in. And then it has these individual activities. And so um, leaning into music in some intentional ways, um, there's something called the breath flower, which, um, you know, without a piece of paper, even I can just show you that, um, you know, the, on the palm of your hand, you're intentionally breathe and, um, and you just center around the center of the flower and then you you're trying to, the point of it is to connect your breath with the motion of your, you know, either your finger on your hand right now, or if you had art supplies that you could take, you know, your, um, your pen and you draw the petal of the flower and you inhale to the outside edge of the petal and you hold your breath for three counts. And then you exhale, letting go as you bring the um, pen to the center of the flower. And then you do that again, inhaling and pausing and then exhaling as you bring the pen to the center of the flower and you can do that and pay attention to you know um to your breath and draw the whole flower and just drawing one flower can can be enough time and intentional breathing and focusing your mind instead of on all the distractions and the white noise you zero in you know you look at the pigment of that beautiful color and the texture and the, you know, uh, tactile feel of holding that. And um, just that all of that is, is touching different parts of your brain. So you're not just scrolling on a screen or doing things, you know, you're actually um, engaging the senses, which are engaging different parts of the brain, which strategically help you to regulate your physiology. And so um, the breath flower is one simple tool that, um, at any point you can, can, can draw on to help you to, to, to be mindful of your breathing, um, to regulate, to come back to center. Um, and, um, so it's, it's basic things like that, that are, that are, um, have been advised by folks that have a lot of, again, they have the comp, the, the complex rationale and science that, that backs up what we're doing, but, kids can do this stuff without knowing why it's effective. They can experience how it's effective. And I've got two daughters and I've loved um, how I can do these activities with them. I do them myself. And the arts are part of every culture on the planet. They cross age groups. So from kids to grandparents and whatever the style um, you, you know, resonate with, it's still engaging your brain and your body in strategic ways. And so, um, I just find that to be beautifully universal. And again, we're trying to, uh, to simplify and, and just make these tools available to people. And um, that toolkit, that mini toolkit is available on our website for free. And that's something that we launched to just share during COVID, especially where we're saying, hey, like, you know, we're designed for this as an organization. And we, um, 
it's it's awesome to to just make that available to people. And I've downloaded the toolkit and I love it. I think it's, it's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is because I thought that was just a fantastic resource that your organization um, is just freely providing because we all are experiencing collective trauma right now. Um, it's maybe not a, you know, a lot of times we think of traumas and maybe you can speak more to, to this about different types of trauma, right? Like, so there's trauma that happens suddenly where like you're in a car accident or um, someone dies or something intense, kind of acute trauma. But then there's like chronic trauma where we're mm -hmm. go through a chronic period of time, a longer period of time um, without some of the basic things that we need. Um, uh, and so I, I love that you have that resource available. It's, well, and it's a really good one. COVID's kind of been both of those things. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like one day the world <laughs> shut down and then it hasn't, nothing's happened since then. <laughs> How, mm -hmm. uh, you said before that you were sort of, you, that you, that uh, First Aid uh, Arts was sort of built for things like COVID. So how have you pivoted in the last year to like as an organization and what have you done? Obviously the, the toolkit, but what, what has First Aid Arts done to kind of react to that? Yeah, we so we had our last in-person training in March um, a year ago, and uh, we were grateful that we were able to provide that training. And then, and then right after that, we had to um, practice what we preach and get creative and use our imaginations um, to solve the problem. And we started, um, yeah, just like a lot of organizations, we we pivoted to digital in terms of how we could disseminate information. We're we're working on you know recording our material and putting um, versions of our trainings online and and doing kind of a hybrid of of recorded and live material, which I'm excited about. For, I'm sure this is kind of the um, Corona lemonade that a lot of nonprofits have mm -hmm. had, to, had to had to make. Um, but uh, we are excited that some back burner ideas, you know, got got brought to the front burner. So we're working on all, all that um, in terms of how we can reach people digitally. But um, we, yeah, we put together some kits and um, we, you know, prioritize seniors um, and, and um, as well as hospitals and sent in some, some of our printed materials and, and art supplies and um, postcards with messages um, like take care of yourself as you care for others and you make the world more beautiful and, um, things that are postcards that we have that you can color in and enjoy um, the benefit of intentionally engaging the arts while thinking of someone you love and sending them an, a note of encouragement so that you can have that interpersonal connection. Even if you can't be face to face, you can send them um, your handmade art, um, which is really meaningful. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, we kept, kept things moving, got creative and are excited to be able to offer in-person trainings, um, in time um but uh it it, it was uh really meaningful to i mean one story that just really is important to me is just i got to my mom had alzheimer's the last five years of her life before mm -hmm. she went to heaven and um and i got to um to train the staff at, at her you know live in care facility in the arts and and how to use those with their residents and to give art kits to the families because a lot of the um, you know, the men and women that worked there had, had kids that were going through COVID too. So that's awesome. But, yeah. Do you, I feel like we need to stop there. That was really good. So yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a great way to end this entire thing. Uh, Sanzi, do you have any other questions? No, I just, I just want 
um, for people to know how to follow you and um, where can they follow First Aid Arts um, and all of that if they want to find more information. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love for people to go to our website. Um, that's a great launching point to learn more about what we're up to, what we offer. And again, more offerings will come online as we are able to um, have in-person events again, but we do have some digital resources now. Um, and so firstaidarts.org is our website. And then all of our social handles are just hashtag firstaidarts. So um, we'd love to be connected. Awesome. So go follow them. They're awesome. And uh, everything, all the show notes will be at heartsneedart.org. Just click on the podcast link and we'll get all of Curtis's information for that. Uh, Thank you very much for being here. Stanzi, Richard, my pleasure. Thank you. And thanks to everybody listening for doing what you love to fight what you hate. Love creatively. Uh, we might Love steal it. that for the title of this uh, interview. I'm just yeah. telling you now. Uh, <laughs> make sure you subscribe wherever you watch or listen to the podcast. We will see you uh, or you'll hear us next week, everyone. Until then, keep creating. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast produced by Hearts Need Art, creative support for patients and caregivers in partnership with the National Organization for Arts and Health. You can help others learn about the healing power of the arts by subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen or watch. The podcast is hosted by Richard Wilmore, co-hosted by Constanza Rader, and produced by Ivan Briones. Our theme song, Songbird, is written and performed by Natalie Lane. Visit heartseedart.org to learn how you can support our mission to create joy with people facing life-altering health challenges. Join us next week to learn more ways you can create arts for the health of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Heartseed Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard on this podcast.